to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to the Bible Feed podcast. Welcome to everyone, all our, all our listeners. Thank you for joining with us today. And welcome to Martha Sales, who's with me today, all the way from Canada. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's really, really great to have you. So in this episode, we're going to be thinking about some some really important issues, actually, some really sometimes challenging issues, things that perplex us, things that challenge faith, you know, things like pain and suffering in the world, things like, well, you know, the beginning of the universe. So really you know, big, big scale topics to, to consider. But the reason we're, we're doing it and the reason I've got Martha here with me to think about this is that we're going to think about these topics all as they're mediated through a, a discussion about a novel, a book that you've written, Martha, isn't it? So it's a, it's a children's book. I think in North America, you'd say it's a middle grade book. Is that right? Yes. Great. Okay. So this, um, we'll, we'll get to sort of what it's, uh, these, these big discussions that, you know, there's so many things it, it covers, things like questions about life and the universe, about suffering, the existence of, of, of God. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's first talk about what the story of this book is. So this book is called The Enormous Tiny Experiment. So can you just sort of summarize what the, what the plot is? Certainly. Um, first of all, I should explain that The Enormous Tiny Experiment is one big story that is broken up into three books. So the first book sets the stage for the large social experiment, but the overall plot doesn't fully wrap up until the end of the third book. So basically, the main character, Professor Lemans, who experienced some terrible suffering in his past, turned against the notion that there could be any caring, all-powerful creator watching over the world. And in his 50s, he longs for a family of his own, and remarkably, very remarkably, I should add, he discovers a way to miniaturize life. (laughs) So wanting to give these 21 miniature people the best life he possibly can, he creates a magnificent paradise in a large dome hidden away in his research lab. That's intriguing. Yeah, very sort of off-the-wall idea, really imaginative, uh, really imaginative plot. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, but it, so this, and it gives you the perfect canvas to telling the, the stories that you want to tell effectively or, or raising these, these issues. Um, so what does, um, you know, what does the professor want to do with this place he's called Paradise? Well, together with his assistant, Evan, who's one of his students, they do all they can to ensure they can create a, a safe, fully functioning, beautiful world to live in. So Professor LeMans wants to be able to give his little people perfect happiness and full protection. Having created a world that he would love to live in himself, he anticipates that everyone's reactions will be the same as his, which, of course, as you know, Dan, isn't realistic. No, that's absolutely right. Yeah, we're, we're all different, aren't we? So we're all going to react differently in different situations. So, yeah. That's right. So essentially, the professor becomes God to his own little world, although he'd never admit to that. And he begins to experience in a very small way what it would be like to be the creator of the whole world and to stand in God's shoes, so to speak. Mm. For clarity, I'm I'm referring or we're going to be talking mainly about this this first book. That, that's the one I've read. I've not, I've not read the next one yet. Um, it, it will be will be soon. Um, but th- so this one in particular, this first one, the enormous tiny experiment. It's yeah, it's really fun. It's it's a crazy plot, isn't it? You know, this is a really imaginative idea to mm. to come up with this whole little paradise full of little people. Um, um, but but as you've just you know started to think about, you 
it's not just a fun novel. It's not just a fun sort of children's book, middle grade novel. You know, it, it is you're purposefully delving into some really specific questions about God, the nature of, well, does God exist? You know, issues about faith in the modern world, things like that. So wh- why did you want to write something that addresses those issues? That's a really good question, Dan. In the last 10 years or so, my husband and I have become familiar with atheist accusations that the God of the Bible, especially the Old Testament God, is unfair, unkind, not a good standard of morality. Only new atheists would say all that in much harsher terms, using words that we certainly needed to look up in the dictionary. So for many in first world countries today, the presence of evil and suffering, even the concept of fallen human nature, seems to prove to them that God doesn't exist. They feel that if there was a God, he would have done a much better job setting the world up so there wouldn't be so much suffering and struggle against evil. So in talking through some of these issues about five years ago, our youngest son actually came up with this zany plot, and then he asked me to write the book. (laughs) So my husband and I thought it might be helpful for others to think through what it would be like to be the creator of a world. It's always useful to try and see things from another perspective, to put yourself in someone else's position. So by setting up this this plot with a, a mini world full of little people, y- you can help us think through these questions. I mean, they they are they're really big questions and and I, and legitimate questions. Things about suffering and the justice of that, whether or not you can believe in a loving God when there's so much suffering in the world, things like that. I mean, that the the new atheist sort of aggressive approach has possibly subsided a little bit. That you know, it was big when. Richard Dawkins was was on the news a lot or that may have that big impact and aggressive nature may have subsided a little bit but the fundamental puzzles they they remain there don't they for sure mm-hmm. and doubts remain and people will confront these doubts and and it's legitimate to to doubt and to think through these things these things will cross our minds you know people will think about that true Yep. Just thinking about, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's about ten years ago now, or maybe even more, that the Barna Group put together some research about reasons why young people leave church, and you know, some things included in that are church doesn't seem, to, or there's a perception that church doesn't um, show care and compassion when people have questions and have doubts, and they don't have, you know, the safe space to mm-hmm. talk through with them. So, so I think it's really, really good that you've approaching this topic, opening it up to have these conversations from from really early age you, you know with 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 people with young people so mm-hmm. um and just start thinking through this um and letting them try and own the the conviction themselves so we we've we've touched on um these sorts of topics in other episodes actually and in fact in two other episodes with authors of of different books they and they each have quite very different variations in approach and how they deal with these questions and so on and it and that, you know they really complement each other so fairly early on in this podcast so i think it might be episode 13 around that area we had tom gaston on with his book founding of faith and then more a lot more recently actually mark vincent with his book that he wrote life's biggest questions yeah so so now your your approach is is you know really unique it definitely stands out from from the others because it's in this very different um style and, and genre and um it's this big thought experiment isn't it i think that you mm-hmm. you're just thinking through okay let's imagine this world where it's safe where pain and suffering are minimized there's no rules people just live and thrive in cooperation well how's it going to work you know and what's going to work out and what actually other mm-hmm. problems are going to arise so right in, in, enough <laughs> from me on that uh, i think we, what would be good now is to just think through maybe uh three or four, just a, a, several aspects and features of this book 
um, and just, you know, ask you about them, talk about them and consider those particular issues you're addressing, if that's all right. That'd be great. So first thing I want to talk or pick up on it, it's it's good. The book works in that there's almost a parallel storyline going on. You've got the almost the main plot, as it were, where you've got the what's going on in the Professor's Paradise, his dome full of people and the, the antics that they're getting up to and and the Professor's reaction to them and, and things like that. But then there's also a series of conversations, aren't there, between his assistant and a student in the university. Yes. They, they talk about different things, don't they? They talk about things like the existence of God, whether it's rational to believe in him. And it's great to have that alongside all this crazy stuff happening in the dome. One, one of those occasions is um, Evan, he's, he's the assistant, he's talking to the student about the Big Bang, which completely changed how science viewed the universe from a steady state model to one with a beginning. And, and Seth, the, the science student who's discussing these matters with Evan, the professor's assistant, he, he says, but what if the evidence we think demonstrated the Big Bang is actually pointing to the beginning of God's creative act? So what point were you trying to make with this? Okay, well, this this section was actually added by my editor. It's Carrie Reynolds. Okay. Lives in Australia. And she's been very helpful to me in writing these novels. And the point in the book is firstly about Einstein, who had a very brilliant mind, but struggled to remain unbiased by the accepted scientific understanding, even when the evidence that he was finding challenged it. So his own research was leading him to the conclusion that the universe was expanding, not static. But because he doubted the scientific belief at the time that the universe was static, he doubted his own discovery. The discoveries that showed undeniably that the universe actually did have a beginning came a little later in the 20th century, and the term Big Bang came to be used to describe that fact. Yeah, that's right. I seem to remember um, that the term Big Bang was actually sort of coined as a bit of a pejorative term, wasn't it? I think by Fred Hoyle, a British astronomer. And he was disputing the conclusions of, of this, you know, the, the findings that that were pointing towards the beginning of the universe, a bit like Einstein. And most likely because he could he could see the implications of what it meant to live in a material universe that began in an instant in time, rather than one that just always existed, like the steady state model. Exactly. And that's the main point. The evidence for the Big Bang, or whatever we call it, should lead us to wonder what caused the beginning of the universe in the first place. If there was a beginning, what caused it to begin? Could it have begun just by chance? And as Seth argues, the evidence cited for the Big Bang, like the expanding universe, is also evidence for something that caused this universe. In other words, something created it, which is exactly how the Bible describes God as a divine being who purposefully created this world. He is the cause behind this world and this universe. That's true. And if you don't, you know, if you don't believe that God is the cause, then you still need something as the cause, don't you? The, the universe didn't just pop out of nowhere. There's got to have been something that caused the Big Bang or the beginning of the universe, however however we describe it and talk about it. Yes. I think um, Seth was um, trying to show Evan in, in the book that it's rational to believe that there is a God who caused the world because you've, you've got to invoke something. Something's got to have been there. So, mm -hmm. and, and that works really well. It fits alongside the storyline and the plot because there's this great big dome with 21 miniature people in there, isn't there? I think it's 21. <laughs> Hopefully I've got that right. Yes. Yes. And, and they didn't just pop out of existence out of nowhere, did they? They, they didn't just uh, uh, instantaneously arrive there with no intelligent mind, no... No creator, no, no, uh, you know anything. There was, there was a professor. He had a plan. He had a purpose, and he had intention. And then he put that plan into action. So, mm 
Yeah, good. So, so next thing to discuss, so sort of moving on to things that happen inside that dome, um, there's things, a feature that comes out of this is the, the fact that the world that we live in, there are things for enjoyment or things for safety that, um, but actually they bring, uh, they come with them sort of an inherent danger. So there's a bump on the hill. So in one of the, the little hills that the professor's made, he, he's put a bump on the hill. It gives them really great enjoyment, doesn't he? Um, doesn't it? They, I think when they work out how wheels work and and, and how to build a go-kart and things like that, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. But then it's also actually the cause of huge amount of suffering and, and you know, tragic consequences. Mm-hmm. So, and I think the point you're making there uh, is that the safety features inbuilt into this world, the, the things for enjoyment, but then also the safety features, because there's something else that happens as well, isn't there? The professors thought about all these things but um, they turn out to be the cause of catastrophes. So what issue are you sort of addressing with this? Exactly. So the professor sculpted this little bump on the hill when he was creating Paradise, hoping to add a little fun challenge for the tinies when they learn to make those go-karts and drive them well. But unfortunately, this bump creates a tragedy. So this is addressing a complex matter in our world today that many want to blame God when tragedies happen, but very few take the time to thank him when things go well. So our planet is built to stay warm enough for life, to rejuvenate, to have natural cycles. If you step back and look at the big picture, you see this world that has been created to give us so much pleasure and beauty and sustain life in incredible ways. Like, why do we have thousands of varieties of beautiful, fully functioning plant life and animals? Surely this world could be sustained with maybe 10 kind of trees, a few fruits, animals and birds, but... Instead, it's filled with an abundance of fascinating life in a variety of seasons and magnificent landforms. So we have this rich living planet and storms, earthquakes, and volcanoes are are part of keeping it alive and functioning well. So unfortunately, the very things that God placed to make life exciting and give us so much pleasure can also cause us harm. Not because he's necessarily out to get us, although he does have the power to use the elements in this way. But many tragedies are caused because we choose to live or visit places that we know are dangerous. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, you know, if, if God had made this completely safe world, which was just flat plateau everywhere, no seasons with unusual weather patterns that were dangerous mm-hmm. or, you know, one type of animal or tree or, you know, it really would make life a very different experience, wasn't it? It would, it would make it um, much less meaningful, to be perfectly honest. So a a very safe world would have no need for human ingenuity or exciting challenges to overcome or opportunities to learn responsibility. You know, you think of the people who climb Mount Everest, they don't do it because they want to live safe lives and are fearful of suffering. So think how happy would mountain climbers or surfers or storm chasers be if God intervened to stop every human being who chose to risk their lives. So that's the issue addressed by the bump on the hill, which was very enthusiastically designed by the professor to present an exciting challenge for the tinies, but leads to tragedy instead. Yeah, that's, that's well put. It, it does bring out that question about free will, doesn't it? F- freedom to, to choose. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have, God would have to li- basically limit free will if, um, if he wanted to keep us, or if he listened to us and, and wanted us to be safe in all, in all that way. And yet we'd, we'd have all basically no freedom to do what we wanted. And, there wouldn't be that variety, yeah, and that discovery in the world and, and human flourishing because that's what enables human flourishing. So it really would be impossible to have freedom mm-hmm. and find deep and rich human flourishing without without the possibility of, of danger. So it's really helpful to think through that. Um, 
there's something else that happens, isn't there? And I've, I've already sort of alluded to it. There's a really um, poignant moment in the book when the, the real world and the paradise are being compared. It's really obvious. You've made it really obvious because there's a, um, a time when there's an emergency. Mm-hmm. Evan and the professor, they're responding to an emergency in the, in the, in the dome whilst also hearing, I think, is it Evan or the professor, one of them, the driving to the university to get back there as quick as they possibly can. And they're listening to news reports on the radio of a major natural disaster occurring in the big outside world yes. um, in real time. Um, and uh, and there's an expert on the radio, I think, explaining something about plate tectonics. Um, I just, I'm just going to read a section, if, if that's all right. Uh, so this is this is from the book. As the news reporters struggle to make sense of the catastrophe, agonising over the estimated loss of life, they interviewed an Australian scientist. Professor Le Mans was surprised when the expert attempted to portray plate tectonics as an essential element of a living planet, regulating the temperatures on Earth and moderating levels of carbon dioxide. As the scientist delved into the life-sustaining benefits of subduction, the professor shook his head angrily. This is not the time to make a case for a senseless tragedy, he exclaimed. So, um, it's a really interesting moment, that, actually. So, can you summarise what the point is about plate tectonics and the, and the link to what's going on in, in the tiniest world? Sure. This link will actually become more apparent at the beginning of book two, okay. Pain in Paradise, when the professor and Evan are cleaning up all the mess and discussing the impact of the earthquake and the tidal wave that happened on the very same day that the tinies were flooded. So plate tectonics is an important element, as you know, of our living planet. Basically, the Earth is riding on various plates that sometimes bump into each other or slide under each other, causing earthquakes and tidal waves. If you Google subduction, you'll see there are certain benefits to this natural process. And there are also our maps showing where these fault lines are. And unfortunately, a lot of them are near wonderful places to live. So the link to the story is that the professor had placed a high-tech fire response system into paradise, which was unfortunately triggered by two tinies who were fooling around. The awesome system which the professor had installed and which was crucial to their safety nearly drowned them all when it was accidentally set off. So just like there are safety features built into planet Earth, which are very well designed and necessary for life, but may also cause death in various circumstances, especially when humans don't respect the natural world. Mm. Just on that last bit, don't respect the natural world. Can you, can you give an example? Um, so like when we choose to build in floodplains or we remove the mangrove stands along coastal regions or farm the rich land mm. near okay. volcanoes, we're risking our own safety, but we may get away for it, with it for many good years until a disaster strikes. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah, so we definitely, humans, humankind, we, we definitely exacerbate the problem, don't we? By uh, yeah, building on floodplains. and yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what you mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess it's, it's fair to say disaster and suffering will still come, even if we're only building in the right places and, and so on. True. That's a good point. But then also the point is that the world functions to keep us alive in a way that makes it inherently dangerous, isn't it? So even if we do just exactly. stay away from, uh, you know, the, the terrible areas, they're still going to be, because of the, the absolutely critical role of plate tectonics and subduction in regulating the atmosphere, there are still going to be earthquakes and tidal waves and volcanoes and so on. Or tornadoes or hurricanes, even in those safe places. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. No, that's absolutely right. In, in the moment of a tragedy, it, it is very hard to 
to make that case and maybe professor maybe the professor had a, had a point mm. then in the in the face you know maybe compassion at the moment of tragedy is perhaps the right response but yeah thinking it through rationally away from the moment of the actual actual tragedy it, it, it doesn't yeah yeah it doesn't make sense that it's a case against god because actually these things are performing a function but uh Okay, so, so the next point is thinking through the idea, well, this is a recurring theme actually, but the professor is really, makes it really clear that he doesn't want any rules in this world, does he? All the time he's going on about, I don't want any mm-hmm. rules, and he absolutely wants them to have complete freedom to basically do what they want. And he doesn't, so he doesn't want to make any rules. So can you just explain a little bit about the professor's high ideal and why has why he created it like that? Um, so today, with the postmodern way of thinking and discarding the Bible as a guide, I, I feel that society's lost the moral compass that they used to have. Because who has the authority to determine right from wrong? And a lot of society's morals today are, are based more around whether we harm someone else by our actions. And then that's a whole debate in itself, what's harming someone and what's mm. just a natural outcome. Yeah, yeah. So rules from the Bible, they're often portrayed as archaic and damaging to man's full help, happiness and self-realization. So naturally, the professor, with his worldview, wants to place as few rules as possible on his tinies, thinking this will make them happy. And I have to say that I, I really struggled with this aspect in writing the books because I, I have no desire to ever write an immoral book or place age restrictions on the novels. But in reality, if there really was a no-rule society, it would likely lead to animalistic behavior among some of the tinies, if not all of them. Mm. Yeah, there's other books on there that that do deal with that a lot. No, things like Lord of the Flies. So yeah, now now I get what what you mean there. Yes. You know our our obsession. Thinking broadly as a as a human race, our obsession with these stories, mm. um, things like that. Um, they show how much right and wrong and and good and evil mean to us because we're. You know, not not just your book, but many other stories and and the epic tales are all about sort of good and evil and mm-hmm. rules or or how society functions and how society might function without them. And it, it's a really big feature as part of the you know human culture and and society. Even though we might want freedom without restraint, we might think we want that. Morality is actually really important to humanity because we re- we still recognise it in in our stories and our mm-hmm. in the way we deal with each other and and, and appeal to law, appeal to the justice system, and you know it, that's all based on the exactly. fact that we we think morals exist. So I suspect in the later books this comes through a little bit more than like you said. Yes, it, it certainly does as they get older. Um, for the most part, I've tried to give humanity the benefit of the doubt, and the tinies, I would say, are very good, generally speaking. Um, there's a few that keep the story realistic, but they're not the main characters, so the focus isn't on them and what they're doing. It's just happening in the background. So I've really tried to explore just enough problems to make the point that even in a very good world, with no bad examples to follow, our own natures lead us to be discontent, covetous, proud, indulgent, and unwilling to use self-restraint. So I'm trying really hard to keep these books family-friendly, um, but this does become more challenging as a tiny's age. Yeah. Um, so I've been really thankful for my editors, like my husband and my family and my dad, and in particular, Carrie Reynolds, 
who've all helped me to try and keep this balance and still write an interesting story, hopefully, which addresses the issues. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you hadn't thought through where it was going to end, but by the time when you first started it, thought you're going to end up with all these interesting dilemmas. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really important to, to think through. And, you know, is society going to be better off with without these seemingly mm-hmm. restrictive rules and things? And actually, you know, there are a, a moral compass, a moral guideline is actually really helpful for for humans to to flourish together and mm. to live together in in harmony and and um, yeah, it, it will it actually encourages and and helps humans to to live together. So mm-hmm. it does. Um, there's there's something else um, that goes through the book actually. That, that it's 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 written really well. There's a lot these little threads that sort of keep weaving their way through the the different chapters and and this is another one. You know these these twenty one little people. Most of them are kind of in awe of their creator in invest commas uh their mm-hmm. you know that they the professor uh, as as they refer to him um but there's there's a couple of these tinies who basically don't believe the professor exists and that was that was really interesting how you how you brought that through and obviously the parallel there is is with you know the real world here where there are believers and there are unbelievers there are people who are theists and people who are atheists and you know the, these people you know these tinies who don't believe the professor exists because um, they've never seen him they um they're just told about him they they basically mock and they're downright rude about it mm-hmm. these are likely the few that keep the story realistic <laughs> like you've said they certainly are so uh so one of them for example just a really short excerpt from the book uh, one of the guys there damien he says um the whole professor thing is definitely a made up story so you know there's a whole sort of conversation mm-hmm. about it and a few times but and that you know that's really interesting exploring the idea of well why would a, a god want to remain hidden and um, the professor has chosen himself to remain hidden so mm-hmm. you, you know for reasons so and it's often a charge maybe of the more sort of aggressive new atheist um charge against people who are christians or people who are religious in any sense you know if god is real he would should just show himself you know why would a god want to remain hidden mm-hmm. and this this helps us sort of think through that but the, it's really fascinating then because the professor finds himself valuing the songs and the ceremonies that the, the others, that the rest of the tinies, they perform. They choose upon themselves to to start giving, making up little songs and, and, and conducting little ceremonies about and thanking, Thanksgiving ceremonies basically about about what this world yes. that they've, they've, yeah, the world that the, has been sort of made for them. Uh, like worship basically isn't it so so what does this teach us about the value of god remaining hidden you know just below the surface effectively with enough room for people to doubt but also you know with people able to discover his existence effectively okay well basically the professor he's choosing to remain hidden in the books because he's interested in the whole social experiment that he's conducting Um, He sees himself as the father, or even down much deeper, the God figure for the tinies. So even though he says he doesn't believe in God and goes about writing books to convince others that God doesn't exist, Professor LeMans isn't entirely sure that he's right, much like Dawkins who claimed there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. Uh, Yeah, the the infamous London bus adverts. They were some years ago now, but most people will remember those. Exactly. So as the professor experiences life in this God role, 
He's really surprised by the tremendous joy he feels when a few tinies actually have confidence in his existence and burst out gratefully with these thankful songs, which are like worship. So he realizes how much it means to him that some of his tinies believe what Evan says, his sincere assertion that there is a professor, and that they accept the evidence of his existence and intelligence. Hmm. Okay, so here's a question. Do, do they blindly accept his existence? No, and that's a really important clarification, Dan, because obviously there, there needs to be a balance here. Mm. If children just blindly accept everything they are told, you know, us as loving parents might worry that they're too naive and will be easily led astray by lies. But when there's solid evidence and there's genuine people who give sincere testimony, they have witnessed something or seen someone, people who just mock and scoff at that might miss out on an important truth to their own detriment. So it's it's a difference between critical thinking, which we would all agree is good, and radical skepticism, which can never be satisfied. And more is going to be said about that in the third book. Oh, great. Okay. So it made me think of, there's a verse in Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, describing faith, the belief effectively, isn't it? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Yeah, it's this, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, faith is often made out to be as if it's this blind faith, you know, just believing in something because you want it to believe it. But but you're absolutely right. You know, there's some kind of, there's critical thinking going on here. Mm -hmm. The professor wants his creation to have critical thinking and see the evidence for his love for them. Which is all around them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's he's really upset by those displaying that radical scepticism, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful. It helps us think about, you know, God God is discernible. That's sort of my contention. I know, you know that's what mm-hmm. you think as well. Um, but God wants us to search things out, use our critical thinking abilities, because if we're, mm-hmm. if we're sort of searching this and, and, and finding him and discovering him and coming to a conviction about it, there's something far more about our, our freedom of faith and our worship, the value and, you know, our worship becomes so much more valuable when we're choosing to search and choosing to therefore work it out and understand rather than, you know, being completely obvious mm-hmm. to us and therefore being forced to worship effectively, you know, under duress. Right. The conviction's much more in our hearts when we come to it. That's right. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about that in other episodes, actually, some some time ago now. So thank you. I mean, th- they were the, the main things. There's there's a lot more we we could talk through, and we've I don't think we've given away too much of the plot line. <laughs> I I just want to say, you know, as as a parent, I've read this this first book. I've read it through with my children, and and they've picked up on many of these questions and issues. Awesome. And how it addresses them. Yeah, it's a really it's a fantastic medium to to hold these conversations, to to, to read it together, and then and then talk about these things and. Um, you know, opens up those conversations, and then we can reflect on those really important issues. Um, it, it's, I'd say, it was good. You know, it's a good book from about the age of of nine or ten up to maybe thirteen year olds. That's that's the age you were thinking about. Is that right? Yes, that is right. And I'm really happy to hear what you're saying, Dan. When I wrote these books, I was imagining parents reading them to their kids and having opportunity to have discussions along the way. Like that's that was the purpose for writing it. So I'm really glad that happened for you and your family. Um, when I began the series, in my mind, I was writing for 8 to 12-year-olds. The tinies are 10 months old when the book begins, which is equivalent to a normal 10-year-old human. Um, as the series developed with Carrie Reynolds' help and that of many others, like my husband, 
Um, I realized that some of the issues were quite deep and maybe more appropriate for ages 10 to 15. And by the time I reached the last book in the series, the tinies are in their late teens. So they're encountering young adult issues. So Treasure in Paradise, which is going to be the last book, may be better suited for 12 to 16. Mm, great. Okay. So where can people get hold of, of this book? We have put the book up on Amazon. So you can order it in most places in the world online. Great. Um, I believe the Christelphian office and Christelphian scripture study service are also stocking copies. Great. We'll put up some links on, on the show notes. So uh, if anyone does want to take and have a look, they can get there easily enough. Thank you. Yeah. So Pain in Paradise, that's available now. And then the third one's coming soon. You know, when's it coming? Don't want to put you under any pressure. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting to hear back from my editor for the third okay. book. Pain in Paradise is the second book and it's now available. And Carrie and I are hoping that the third one will be fully edited and completed, hopefully by the end of this year, God willing. That's what we're working towards. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it sounds like if you've got the manuscript all, all done, at least the first draft, so you're mm -hmm. well on the way. So, so excellent. So well done. And thank you again so much for both writing these books, this series, and for coming on to, to join me. Thank you for having me. There's lots of really important issues covered in, in this book, uh, as we've talked about. So, um, Anyone listening along, as ever, if there's any questions generated from this discussion or any of our podcasts, then feel free to reach out and get in touch with us. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can get hold of us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or go to biblefeed.org. So thank you very much. And thanks again, Martha. Really great to have you on. And uh, until next time, God bless. And God bless you, Dan. Thank you. listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us uh, through our Facebook page or send us a message on our website at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Mm -hmm.